And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to the Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender. With me as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film, past or present, absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. It's October, and in the spirit of all things spooky and it's Halloween, we are focusing on horror films. All month long, we've tackled films in various subgenres in horror, including paranormal, psychological, survival, and the like. This week, we have a very special guest and subject matter expert, for that matter, from the Horror Squad podcast. The man, the myth, the Canadian, Mr. Stephen Alva Wood. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, fellas. Hey, hey, hey. Steven, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going great. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me on. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I was really excited to hear when you guys were doing some horror films, and uh, I was surprised when you guys invited me over, but I'm really happy to do it. I feel like I'm the Father Marin of uh, this podcast, where I'm coming in and hopefully <laughs> helping you guys. Uh, I hope you like this movie, because when I heard you didn't like uh, The Exorcist, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> oh uh, boy. Oh man, yeah. that was a bucket of boring. I don't know how you can do that shit. Where's Captain Spaulding when you need him? Jace. <laughs> yeah, I felt bad because we knew that you loved it so much, but we're like, oh, this movie sucks. <laughs> Dude, we we tried, man. We tried and tried and tried, but we just could not. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it was. <laughs> I I personally could not enjoy it like I wanted to. <laughs> no, it's funny. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I know. It's you know, teach their own with the movies. Uh, I know a lot of people in the horror genre really like it. I personally really love it. I don't know. Is it a thing that is nostalgic for me? I'm not sure. Uh, but I rewatched it and holds up for me. But it's still an entertaining episode. So, but I'm happy to come on here on the screen episode for sure. Heck yeah, man! I mean, and that's the thing about movies, right? Is you know we could be the assholes for not liking, it, and that's fine. <laughs> I'm okay with we that. We probably are. We probably are the assholes. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I mean, I've I've lived my whole life, forty years, and people call me one, so nothing. Nothing new there. I'm still going to need the $2, sir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Holy shit, man. Um, Mr. Zach, we normally open this show with what are you watching, but since we have a guest, why don't we start with Steven? Steven, what have you been watching on the old boob tube, as it were? So I've been watching a lot of stuff. Uh, October is the busiest month of the year for the, on my podcast, so we're watching just a whole bunch of movies. But I thought I'd do something different for you guys. Uh, instead, I'm going to recommend five films that are pretty recent that I feel that people should watch and a lot of people are sleeping on. So, And I think that's a shame because they're really, really great films. Um, so the first one I'll talk about is Monstrum. It's a Japanese film about uh, samurai warriors who hear about this big monster that lives in the forest. It's kind of political. It's kind of very family-orientated as well. And it's a really fun film. So that's one people need to check out. Then I would say a movie called The Platform, which you can find over on Netflix. It's a Spanish film. A very interesting premise where prisoners go to this place uh, that are different levels in a prison. And there's one big platform of food that comes down every day. And the level that you're at is random. So if you're at level one, you get to eat really well. But if you're at level 
150, you get whatever's left over from the other levels. And it plays a lot of great mind games. It's got a lot of layers, uh, no pun intended. So that's one people definitely got to check out. Uh, then I would go to One Cut of the Dead. This movie is interesting. It's a zombie film. I watched the first 30 minutes and I really hated it. I almost turned it off, but I decided to give it a shot. And by the end of the movie, I loved it so much. I want to watch that first 30 minutes again. Uh, there's a twist in it that just really brings it all together. And it's a fantastic watch that people need to check out. That's a Korean film. Uh, then we have Train to Busan, which I think is probably the most mainstream of the ones I'm going to talk about. It's a crazy zombie film of uh, this guy and his daughter that are stuck on a train as the zombie apocalypse is happening. Absolutely thrilling film that people would love. And finally, one called Hashtag Alive. It just came out recently over on Netflix. It's kind of the same thing as Train to Busan where you got crazy fast zombies, but it's from the perspective of a 20-year-old gamer stuck in his apartment. And it's a really cool play of how this guy uh, has to like survive not having really any real skills uh, to survive in a zombie apocalypse. So those are five movies I would highly, highly recommend. Cool. Fascinating. I, I've seen Train to Busan, and I can agree with you. It is phenomenal. It's one of the best zombie films I've ever seen. And then I wanted to watch One Cut of the Dead because I heard a lot of good things about it a long time ago. Uh, I believe it's on Shudder, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so I, I I do want to watch that, and I did see Alive on Netflix. I I haven't watched it yet, I should say, but I did see the advertisement for it. So awesome, man! Cool. Thanks for the recommendations. Can't wait to read all these movies. <laughs> Love the subtitles. Oh, dude, me too. Uh, so for me, I watched Saw four, five, six, and seven. And they fucking suck. <laughs> uh, I it's just because I, I'm a completist or wait, completionist. There we go. And I wanted to continue watching after we had our saw discussion. Uh, so then I watched the Twilight Zone, a few episodes of that, uh, the old 60s version. I watched Castle Rock season two. I'm on episode two. It's OK. Uh, I watched Hubie Halloween, which was not good, but it uh, it had a good message. So, and Steven, I know you guys did an episode on that recently, but um, yeah, Hubie Halloween. And then I watched more of The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror just to, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of gut, uh, blood and guts and all the saw kind of made me crazy, have weird dreams. So I, ne- <laughs> I needed to watch some Treehouse of Horror to calm me down. Sure. That's yeah. fair. What about you, Justin? Dude, I had a long weekend of motion picture shows. <laughs> Saturday, I watched Due Date, A Night's Tale, and Deep Blue Sea. And then Sunday... Uh, we went a little crazy. We watched uh, all three Iron Mans. We watched Iron Man 1 and 2, then Avengers, then Iron Man 3. And then we did uh, Skipping, 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 watched Winter Soldier, then uh, Civil War, then uh, Ragnarok. And that was a long Sunday. And I was just kind of playing on my computer. I had the movies on. And I was just having a little Marvel Sunday. And it was great. Nice. But, but I haven't done any of the scary movies. I know everyone's so like committed to watching so many in October, and I just can't do it. Dude, Deep Blue Sea is like the scariest movie ever. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thomas Jane, he's just like, you know, having his little his little ordeal. It's like, dude, when check he, me out. When he says that's the answer to the to the riddle, what does a three thousand pound mako shark dream of? The Deep Blue Sea. I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, he said it. He said the yeah. title. <laughs> he's like, that shit's jamming, man. Start down low with three hundred fifty cube, three and a quarter horsepower, four speed, four <laughs> tank gears, ten coats, competition, orange hand, rub lacquer with a hoop play manifold. 
we'll fucking race games. All right, Todd. <laughs> Todd Parker. Todd Parker. Yeah. That Thomas Jane, man. He's a real piece of work. I like him. Called Stephen Jane's an asshole. <laughs> True story. <laughs> what? In the, in the bathroom. Yeah, in a public restroom. He was like, he wasn't wearing shoes. And he came up to our table, me and David's table first. And he was like, hey. And then me and David in like total like harmonious joy were like, hey. And then he like scared him and he backed away. And then he went into the bathroom and he wasn't wearing shoes. This is like at a, at a rooftop party in San Diego. And then he goes into a public restroom and Stephen turns around and there's Thomas Jane like looking right at him. And this guy's like, dude, why aren't you wearing shoes? And then Thomas Jane's like, why should I wear shoes like this asshole? Points to Stephen James. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it was gross. Anyway, that's my Thomas Shit. Jane story. <laughs> Everyone needs one. Bit a bit of a weirdo, that guy. Oh, jeez. Deep blue sea. What can he do? They made a third one. You believe that? Who knew? I don't know. Sharks sharks make uh good movies. People are afraid of sharks, so it's always fun to watch those. There was one. I don't do you guys remember that one where it was like um they had cameras everywhere, and these people were at like this sort of resort for the weekend. It might have been called Shark Night. I don't know, but they're like filming people getting eaten by sharks. Was no. that familiar? Oh. No. It's like 2012, 2011. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's real. Anyway, um, are you guys ready to get on to it? Do you want to talk about the motion picture show? Hell yeah, man. Let's do it. Right. So this week, we're doing one of my favorite horror movies ever. We're doing Scream from 1996. Of course, it's directed by Wes Craven, who obviously did A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Hills Have Eyes, the original anyway, The Last House on the Left, and uh, <laughs> nice pull, The People Under the Stairs. <laughs> it's a classic. <laughs> yeah, it's got the kid from Mighty Ducks in it. The one that calls oh, yeah. everyone a cake eater. Jesse. <laughs> yeah, how about that? What do I he's up to these days? Gotta find him in some... BuzzFeed article somewhere. But uh, remember when the one guy, when the guy's like dancing around, I was like, I got him, I got him, I got him, I got him, when he thinks he killed the kid. Yeah. <laughs> Such a weird movie. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a fun one. I, you know what? I think I, I want to say, this is going to sound so stupid, but I feel like I saw a double feature of People Under the Stairs and Far and Away, that movie with Tom Cruise (laughs) and Nicole Kidman. What a weird double feature. (laughs) I know. I'm pretty sure it was at the drive-in. I I, I don't know. I have to look at the dates. That could be incorrect, but that's how I am remembering it. Anyway, uh, the screen was written by Kevin Williamson, who uh, you might know from a little show called Dawson's Motherfucking Creek. You know, he's a fantastic writer. And um, I think I think what's unique about Mr. Williamson is that he writes in a way that people don't normally communicate. <laughs> they always have these really fun and uh, intelligent conversations when I guess me and my friend are just like, hey, what's up, dude? Who would win a fight between fucking Jaws and Zach Rancourt? <laughs> <laughs> Jaws, obviously. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's hard to relate. Anyway, the cast includes Nev Campbell, David Arquette, Courtney Cox, Skeet Ulrich, Jamie Kennedy, Rose McGowan, Matthew Lillard, Drew Barrymore, and the Fonz himself, Henry Winkler. Fantastic cast. And what's fun about Drew Barrymore is that she's in the movie for like eight minutes, but it's an incredible opening. And she gets to be right there with the entire cast on any of the promotional materials. Yeah, it's quite the tease. I, yeah. uh, it's pretty crazy. 
Yeah, you're like, wait a minute, I came to this movie to see Drew Barrymore, and now she's gone. It's like when you went and watched Executive Decision, and, and you weren't yeah. there to see Kurt Russell, but instead <laughs> yeah. were there to see that hand-slapping son-of-a-bitch Steven Seagal. <laughs> you're like, oh, wait. Spoiler alert, he dies. Jeez, now I don't well, need to he, see Executive Decision. Anymore. Right, maybe maybe he's got a parachute underneath that coat. <laughs> Who knows? No, that's just uh, his overweightness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a lawman, you know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> what can you do? Anyway, uh, do you want to discuss the critical reception? Are you, are you ready for this? Oh, yeah. By all means, go ahead. Yeah. All right. So let's start with uh, the Chicago Tribune, because I don't know if we've ever agreed with the Chicago Tribune <laughs> ever on anything. They, they yeah. are just a group of unique individuals, because they seem to just hate every movie that we like and they love every movie that we can't stand. We are just at ends with these at, with these nice folks. But John uh, Petricus says Scream may be a cut above the gore fest that line the dimly lit back wall at your video store, but it is a far cry from the genre classics like Halloween or Craven's own Nightmare on Elm Street. Wow. I don't know if far cry is accurate. Maybe a whisper, but not a far cry. Far and away cry. Yeah. <laughs> Look at my hot. I got a new hot. <laughs> what a stupid movie. <laughs> yeah, that's the only quote I know from that movie. I don't even know if it's right. That could be Back to the Future 3 for all I know. Anyway, oh, by the way, happy Back to the Future Day, you two. Isn't that uh, tomorrow be... or is it today? No, motherfucker, it's today. It's, today's the 21st, no? Uh, is it? I thought it was tomorrow. I'm pretty sure it's today. I mean, I woke up to all kinds of texts yelling at me today saying, happy Back to the Future Day, so I'm taking their word for it. Yeah, you're probably right. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Leonard Claddy from Variety says, this pick's chills are top notch, but its underlying mockish tone won't please diehard fans. All right. Right there, I think that that's interesting because me personally... I mean, I'm not a diehard fan, but I equate this to something along the lines of Galaxy Quest, where it's having fun with the genre that everyone loves so much. You know, like if you if you can't laugh at yourself, then, you know, take two steps back and fuck your own face as far as I'm concerned. I don't find it insulting uh, or mawkish in the least bit. I think it is definitely identifying flaws in those motion picture shows and it runs with it and has fun. But maybe I'm just crazy, and I'm sure we'll get into it. Rachel Wagner, our buddy from rachelreviews.net.org.edu. <laughs> .net, love, I think is officially her. what it is. Yeah. Scream is an... Uh, what did she say? Scream is an enjoyable film that doesn't take itself too seriously. Agreed. Rachel Wagner. Finding woman. Uptown all the way. And um, I think that's about it. As far as budget goes, it was a whopping $14 million. Opening weekend, it did six point three million. Yikes! That's uh, that's not terribly impressive. Uh, grossed one hundred and three million in the United States, though, and one hundred and seventy three worldwide. So that strikes me as more of a not uh, like a word of mouth, probably. Like people said, "Oh my God, it's not good." It's just that. Is December twenty second? Is that accurate? Are you sure that's the release date? 
got it from IMDb and the internet never lies. So that would be pretty, pretty remarkable if that was the case. I mean, but this was also in a time that movies were in theaters for like four months, four or five months. So I don't know, you know. Well, you know what? Because the other ones came. It's two and three came out in December. Yeah. So, so there you so go. I guess I guess that makes sense. Man, that's such a weird. Timing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. But uh, I do remember. I remember at least Scream 2 was in December because I had just got excused for winter break when I went to go see it. Yeah. Uh, you want to hear some cool trivia that I created myself? Yes. Wait, real it's, quick. Um, sure. May I ask Stephen Alvawood as a subject matter expert and diehard, someone that that has dedicated their life to their passion for horror films? Um, did you find the underlining mawkish tone to be displeasing? No, not, not in the slightest bit. I, I think it was a film uh, by horror fans for horror fans, you know, just to really a playful film to kind of show the tropes and hopefully evolve the tropes uh, going forward. And uh, no, I think it's a totally great film. And I think what you said about Galaxy Quest is spot on for people who are sci-fi fans. I think Scream is like the Galaxy Quest for horror fans. So yeah. absolutely not. What the fuck, man? Let's let's get Leonard on the phone and tell him to just eat a fat dick. <laughs> Come, man. Might I add the comparison of Last Action Hero for action films, too? Yeah, I guess. I actually don't like that movie. Oh, whatever, dude. It was a lost episode we did that, that <laughs> you, you mysteriously didn't have anymore. So <laughs> just kidding. I believe it. Yeah. I was like, yeah, we're just going to throw this internet information into the uh, garbage. Uh, sorry, the computer ate it. Weird. Uh, so <laughs> They do that. It's crazy. Uh, Haven't bet. you seen uh, that movie with Emilio Estevez where the truck comes alive and the blender comes alive? That's and- really funny you say that because wait till the end of the podcast and we'll get back to that. <laughs> uh, okay, so real quick. Uh, Dewey, David Arquette, is specified as being 25 years old, approximately seven years older than most other lead characters who are in high school. However, Arquette is roughly the same age as most of his co-stars and is slightly younger than Skeet Ulrich, Matthew Lillard, and Jamie Kennedy, who all play high schoolers. Yeah, so that was the thing. They all did did not look like high schoolers. They all looked roughly in their mid-20s. But Which what is you common. Do? I mean, yeah. Dylan McKay was like 50 when he was in 90210. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Uh, when Billy sneaks into Sydney's room, he mentions that he was watching The Exorcist, uh, Stephen's favorite movie. Linda Blair, who played Reagan, has a cameo in this movie as a reporter. And I did notice her. Did you guys notice her, too? I did. Yes. I don't remember. I don't think so. <laughs> God damn it, Justin. Did you even watch the movie? She was the blonde girl that's in the movie no, with the she's microphone. Not, she's not blonde. She's got the, the brunette hair. But whatever. I digress. I <laughs> Skeet Ulrich was cast as Bill. Well, I have a lot of Skeet Ulrich facts in here. Hey. I know, I saw that. I was like, this guy is in love. Not bad. Skeet Ulrich was cast as Billy Loomis partly because of the resemblance to Johnny Depp, who had a significant role in A Nightmare on Elm Street. And I, th- I added this because in the in the police station scene when he's with his father, I was like, this fucking Johnny Depp looking guy, this discount Johnny Depp over here. So I thought that was really interesting that that was why he was added. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix turned down the role of Billy Loomis. Could you imagine that? Joaquin Phoenix as Billy Loomis. I can't because he exudes creep. Yeah, that's true. Um, The use of caller ID increased more than threefold after the release of this film. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So 
Um, I will read a quick synopsis and I'll try to get through this in two minutes, starting now. After a creepy phone call leads to the gruesome murder of high schooler Casey Becker, the town of Woodsboro is on high alert. Sydney Prescott is on even higher alert as the killing takes place nearly a year after her own mother's horrible murder. Along with her friends Tatum, Stu, Randy, and boyfriend Billy, Sydney tries to deal with the anxiety built from said event. Meanwhile, top story reporter Gail Weathers arrives at Woodsboro to try and get the latest story on the killer with the hopes of gaining more national publicity. Gail was responsible for a book about Sydney's mother's murder and slanderized Sydney, thus creating tension between the two. While home alone the next night, Sydney experiences the same creepy phone call and encounters the ghost-faced killer. Sydney is able to escape but is accosted by Billy. The police arrive and arrest Billy despite his claim of innocence. Later that night at Tatum's house, Sydney receives another phone call from the same creeper voice. Sydney begins to question Billy's guilt due to his current captivity in jail, although not for long. Back at school, Billy finds Sydney and tries to convince her he is innocent. Sydney doesn't truly believe him, and the two have an argument. The principal decides to cancel classes while the town sets a citywide curfew in lieu of the murder. Tatum's brother, Deputy Dewey Riley, interacts with Gail as she tries to uncover case uh, info from him for her show. Dewey helps Gail but is suspicious of her actions. Since school is canceled, Sydney and her friends decide to have a party at Stu's house that evening. Principal Henry is murdered in his office by Ghostface, but no one is around to see the crime, increasing their body count to two victims. Stu's party gets going without a hitch until Gail and Dewey show up to keep watch if the killer appears. Gail hides a large, obvious camera near the TV and records the events. Tatum heads to the garage for beer but encounters Ghostface. The two fight, but Tatum is killed while trying to escape through a garage dog door. Back inside the party, Billy and Sydney go upstairs to talk. The two make up and Sydney decides to lose her virginity to Billy. Outside, Gale and Dewey grow closer as they patrol the perimeter. The two discover the abandoned car of Neil Prescott, Sydney's father and killer suspect. The two make their way back to the house. Uh, the party shifts to the living room as Randy presents his rules to survive a horror film to his friends. Everyone soon after leaves and Randy is left watching a movie alone. Upstairs, Billy is attacked by Ghostface and left for dead. Sydney escapes their clutches and makes her way through the house, discovering the body of Tatum outside. Sydney runs to Gail's news van, but cameraman Kenny is killed by Ghostface in the process. Sydney is able to continue to escape and runs back to the house, only to find Dewey has been stabbed in the back. Gail tries to escape in the van once she sees the bloodshed, but crashes into a tree. Sydney tends to Dewey as Randy with an apparent leg wound, and Stu pleads for her to help them. Sydney grabs Dewey's gun and locks herself inside. A wounded Billy makes his way down the stairs, and Sydney hands him the gun. Billy shoots Randy and reveals that he was never stabbed. Stu joins Billy and the two explain to Sydney that they plan the, uh, planned all the murders, including killing Sydney's mother, in order to exact revenge on her for breaking up Billy's parents' marriage. They reveal a tied-up Neil and plan to pin the murders on him. Stu and Billy claim horror movies helped them get away with murder as they prepare to kill her. After the two stab each other, Gail appears with a gun. She attempts to fire, but she can't figure out the safety, so Billy is able to get the best of her. While they were distracted, Sydney takes Neil and hides him from Stu and Billy. Sydney attacks Billy and is able to stab him several times. Stu attacks Sydney, but is killed when Sydney fights back and crushes him with the TV. Sydney is once again attacked by Billy, but as Randy is alive and Gail, as Gail regains consciousness, she shoots Billy in the chest. Randy, Gail, and Sydney stand over Billy as Randy explains the killer always has one last scare. Sydney shoots Billy in the head, stating that won't be happening in her movie. As the sun rises on the blood-soaked night, the police arrive and Dewey is taken to the hospital. 
our heroes may finally be safe after surviving the gruesome Woodsboro murders. They were stabbed in a movie called Stab. <laughs> it's a fair part. Murder, I know. Murder? Um, by the way, I just want to say that I do think Linda Blair's hair is more blonde than brunette in this nah, movie. <laughs> uh, it's like, that's like, I don't know, man. That's like your perception. But. It's like a dirty blonde or a strawberry blonde. People have a right to know. That's her. All right. Well, fellas, uh, when did you first see Scream and what did you think? And has your opinion changed? Uh, I first thought when I was, let's see, this was the year of our Lord, 1997. I didn't see it on <laughs> Christmas weekend. Um, I saw it after. So, yeah, I saw it shortly after it came out and absolutely loved it. I thought it was so much fun as, as a as a young man that that really loved horror films. This one really struck a chord with me and I enjoyed the hell out of it. And it was probably my favorite scary movie up until the remake for the Hills have eyes. Uh, and no, my opinion has not changed. I still love it. In fact, I had written, uh, I wrote an essay in high school and I got a, like a $2,000 scholarship on how scream basically reinvented and reinvigorated the, uh, horror genre. That's kind of oh, wow. cool. Yeah. Crazy. Fun little essay. It was great. Uh, I actually first saw Scream uh, when it came out on VHS, uh, probably sometime in 1997, 1998. I was too young to see it in theaters. I remember being very bummed out about that. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. And I watched it at a party the very first time I saw it. And I had a lot of fun watching it. Uh, this is around the time where I really started getting into horror. Uh, my dad had tried to introduce me to horror at a much younger age, and that did not go well at all. But in uh, the late 90s, when I was kind of finishing up high school and starting to get into college, is when I really started appreciating the genre more. And Scream, like I said before, is a uh, love letter to the genre. And I think that was uh, just absolutely great and a fun watch. And my opinion towards it has maybe changed a little bit over the years, because as original as it was back in the late 90s, now we've seen a lot of movies that are like it. So even though it's kind of one of the first ones to do it, I can't help but think that, oh, you know, I've seen this before. Uh, so maybe it's changed a little bit, but uh, not that much. I still adore this film. I still watch it every, I'd say, five years uh, just to kind of refresh it. And yeah, it's a great film. Well said. Uh, so I was about 10 I think, and I was I was pissed because my brother was trying to watch it on Stars. Probably, uh, I was I was really scared, and so I ran and I told my mom because I was a little dweeb. But I hated horror movies uh, for the long for the long shut up for the longest time until I saw Halloween H two O Halloween Water um, at about tw uh, twelve years old, and I was at a friend's house watching Halloween H2O and I just was like it was peer pressure they all loved horror films and I'm like I can't do it so I started crying and I hung out with my friend's mom and she was telling me <laughs> hey fuck off <laughs> she was telling me a story about when she when she was <laughs> hey dick <laughs> I, I'm sorry I'm sorry no it's funny I don't care uh, but she told me a story about when she was a young girl and she got terrified uh, by watching the movie Carrie and she really related with me and it made me feel confident and strong. And, uh, but anyways, so I succumbed to the peer pressure eventually. And I was like, you know what? B 
be a man, Zach, at 12 years old. And then uh, I, I went and I watched the final like 20 minutes when she, spoiler, at the end of Halloween H2O, when Michael tries to kill her in the ambulance and then she traps him and then cuts his head off. And I was so excited. I was like, whoa, that wasn't scary at all. So I was at school the next day telling everybody about that ending, pretending like <laughs> I saw the whole thing. It was, it was pretty crazy. But I mean, that probably explains why I've been so messed up ever since I was 12. But yeah, basically, I mean, Scream, though, I, I promptly watched that. I mean, after I was pretty goddamn happy with it. Um, I, I think it's amazing. I think it's a superb film, not just a horror film. I think it's just a, a superb film. I watch it all the time and it never gets old for me. Uh, I shouldn't say all the time. I'm probably more in Steven's realm, like every five years, uh, probably shorter than that, though. three years, maybe. Um <laughs> It, it it also has arguably the best opening sequence in all of cinema history. And, and I mean, up there with like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Wars, A New Hope, uh, The Dark Knight, Jaws. All of those opening sequences are, are iconic. But I think the opening sequence for Scream is it has to be in the top five. It's just phenomenal. So, you know, I think I think the ring has a really good opening, too. I remember being batshit scared when I <laughs> saw the ring and you know, when they open up the closet and the little girls just all gross looking i was like jesus christ <laughs> that had a pretty good opening too yeah pretty good what do you think about that steven uh yeah the ring was also and, and you could tell it was definitely influenced by uh, scream because the first scene is very close in tone uh one of the first scenes that really comes to mind for me is uh the remake of dawn of the dead 2004 it Dude. just really sets up that movie so well and oh, yeah. I remember, you know, 10 minutes in, I'm already like, heck, yeah, this is going to be awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the reasons why I became a vegetarian, actually, is because I, w- I remember eating a, a chicken sandwich from Jack in the Box. <laughs> and when the little girl just goes to town on, on the husband, she's just fucking eating his throat and face. And I'm just like, like, all of, like I just I couldn't take it. I, I, took, I literally just took a bite. And I'm like chewing as this little girl is feasting on this and i'm like fuck i can't do it and then i had to be that guy that just spits out my food like i start chewing slower and slower and slower i'm just like i can't (laughs) just threw the whole fucking meal away i was so grossed out because of that beginning (laughs) oh that's too that's priceless i dig it uh all right so you know this movie was unlike any scary movie we had seen to date and we that's what we've been talking about uh the term meta gets thrown around a lot in film uh but for the long and short of it it means showing or suggesting an explicit awareness of itself or oneself as a member of its category so cleverly self-referential scream is very aware of the tropes in any of its horror film predecessors and it uses this to drive the plot The characters identify classic scary movie cliches, but despite calling them out in the film, in fact, hypothetically experience all of these said tropes. So how did this enhance the film for you? Did you enjoy the meta aspect or did you think it was pretentious or was it maybe a moment of revelation for your cinephile mind? Uh, I actually really enjoyed the meta aspect of uh, this film because at the time it was very rarely seen, especially in the horror genre. I'd seen other films like Ferris Bueller and stuff like that, where they kind of referenced that or were aware of what was going on. But for a horror film, it, I remember being very kind of surprised and happy with what they were doing with it. Um, so I didn't see it as pretentious at all. I do think that the sequels uh, got there a little bit because it's almost like they were trying too hard to keep that meta aspect that the first one had. And I think that hurts the sequels a little bit. But as far as this film goes, 
I think it was great. And uh, it also really brought forward, you know, horror tropes that we had seen for so long. Uh, you know, I think the 90s, especially the early 90s, there wasn't there weren't a lot of great horror films. It was like they were still clinging on to the things that worked in the 80s and just wasn't working as well. A lot of the franchises were getting tired by this point. Uh, Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, their later films just weren't as good as their original films. So this was a breath of fresh air. And I think at the time it was awesome. Well said. I agree. <laughs> I concur. Uh, I definitely enjoyed the meta aspect as well. Uh, I, even in the trailer, uh, Nev Campbell's character is doing her bit where she's talking about how some big-breasted woman runs into the house upstairs when she should be just going outside. And it right there, it's showing you that this is different. This is literally putting you know, what you've come to expect from a horror movie uh, just like out the window, which I thought was great. That, in fact, it enticed me to go see it more so because of that. Yeah, I really like that. Steven, you're going to sit there and tell me you don't think Jason Takes Manhattan is the best Friday the 13th film? Come on, man. Don't be crazy. <laughs> you, you mean Jason lives on a boat for an hour and 20 minutes and then eventually gets to New York for 15 <laughs> minutes? Yeah. It was awesome. Of course, it was one of the best ones. <laughs> Remember I when he this... punches the guy's head off? Oh, my God. Of... Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I watched this video breakdown of uh, it's this really good YouTube channel called the film theorists. And they're like, Jason is a has a teleportation machine or he can teleport because they they like did the math on how he could get from one point of like a building to the next. And specifically in Jason takes Manhattan, it just didn't make sense. And I was like, oh, my God, this changes everything. But it made me not ever want to watch Jason Takes Manhattan again because I have no reason to ever watch that one. It's pretty awful. <laughs> when, when Dave and I were at uh, New York Comic Con uh, this last year, um, we were just kind of looking around at different booths, see what everyone had going on. And Jason was behind us. I'm like, whoa, look at that, Jason. He looks great. And then literally like 30 seconds later, he was way the fuck in front of us. <laughs> We're like, holy shit, he can't teleport. <laughs> it was like the funniest thing ever. It's like, how did he get in front of all these people? It didn't make any sense. <laughs> it was so funny. We literally turned our heads for two seconds. And before we knew it, he was way ahead of us. So awesome. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I think I agree with both of you guys. You know, the, subver the subversion of my expectations just kind of combined with all of those classic like horror tropes and everything they worked so well together and i really want to give credit to kevin williamson and west craven i think they broke a ton of conventions yet they also stayed true to kind of what makes a horror film just so classic in my mind we're when when you watch this we're made to think that we're smarter than the killer based off of our movie knowledge because like randy keeps driving that home we're like oh yeah you know you know, don't be a virgin. Don't run inside. Don't say I'll be right back. All that kind of stuff. But in reality, they really do subvert our subversion. If that makes any sense, sure. uh, it's it's I just, mean, just having two killers alone. That's what was I mean. A fucking yeah. game changer. Because like you know, when he's like, "What door am I at?" She would have guessed wrong, no matter which way she went. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, it's you know the the film. It's genuinely unpredictable yet brilliantly structured at the same time, and that's what I I really love about it. And I just I love the meta aspect, and and it spawned things like the cabin in the woods is the best example I can think of. Uh, that movie is just is you know reeks of meta, but it works so GD well. Um, and then in regards to Billy's motive to kill Sydney, when he's speaking to Stu, Randy says, you know, that's the beauty of it all: simplicity. Besides, it's 
or if it gets too complicated, you lose your target audience. And so Randy is laying everything out there uh, for the film and, and you're just kind of like, oh shit. So like on second watch, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes way more sense. So it's uh, pretty, pretty remarkable in my mind. Um, so yeah, <laughs> tell so me it's of, not the face of a killer. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, uh, speaking of Randy's rules in order to survive a horror film, they are as follows. Uh, one, you will not survive if you have sex Two, you will not survive if you drink or do drugs. Three, you will not survive if you say, I'll be right back. Uh, four, everyone's a suspect. Uh, two, uh, I think it's everybody. Ah, shit. Everybody's a suspect. (laughs) Two two additional rules come from the killer. Uh, So that is, you will not survive if you ask who's there. And then six, you will not survive if you go out to investigate a strange noise. So, gentlemen, uh, can you guys think of any other rules they left off or that you have seen done in modern horror? What are your favorites, least favorites, and favorite examples from previous scary movies? Well, I couldn't think of any off the top of my head, so I cheated and I consulted the Google machine. And I did find a list, which I've provided for both of you, that had a top 10 ways to survive a horror movie. And some of the ones that Randy mentions are on this list. But if Mr. Steven has any uh, off the top of his head that he wants to share before we go over this list, that's fine, too. Yeah, there, there, there are two that I really come to mind uh, as far as horror tropes and things that happen all the time that I don't think they mention specifically. Uh, one of them is shoot people in the damn head. Uh, they always shoot in the, <laughs> in the body for some reason. Uh, now, she always ends shooting, ends up shooting in the head, but... There's so many body shots before that they, they actually do the kill. It just drives me crazy. Uh, one that I definitely don't like because they do it in all the films. Uh, one that makes me laugh every time because it happens in a lot of horror movies is fix your damn car. The cars <laughs> never work. They never, right. ever work in a horror film. And it's so annoying, but it makes yeah. me laugh every time because it's such a cliche and they use it to this day. It's just one of those that just refuses to go away. So. Those are definitely yeah. the two uh, I would think of. That that made it on this list. It was uh, one was keep uh, number ten is keep your pants on. Um, that's a good one. Number nine, uh, always assume your attacker is still alive, which goes back to the shoot him in the head. <clears throat> Excuse me. Avoid proms and all other high school parties. Wear comfortable shoes. This is funny because I am always dressed. <laughs> like I am just ready to take on the world at all times like i am just never like vulnerable to where like it drives alex crazy she's like why are you still wearing your jeans i'm like what if there's a fire and she's just like oh my god and i've shared the story before where uh, upstairs was on fire once and i was i it was the one time i'm not fucking wearing clothes and i'm just like you see this is why you gotta be wearing jeans all the time you never know (laughs) and uh, so wear comfortable shoes i'm a fan of that one um don't ever split up that's a good one. If you say, you go that way, I'll go this way, and we'll meet around the other side, one of you's not going to make it, one or both. So I, I agree with that. Make sure your car is always in perfect working condition. So good call, Mr. Steven. That is fantastic point. Um, and, and know where your keys are. A lot of people never have their, their keys on them, which is also a great scene in Scream when uh, Nev Campbell was reaching for the ignition and Ghostface has the keys and taps on the window with his knife and then starts unlocking the car. I remember being terrified when I was 
a teenager at that at that moment. I hate being chased. Or like in the movie Get Out, you know, the keys. Damn, Rose, where's the keys? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh. Um, let's see. What else we got here? Never watch a horror movie when you are in one. Probably a good idea. <laughs> Turn around because it's always behind you. That's a fun callback to to Mr. Randy when he's literally laying on the couch yelling at um what's her name? Uh, Jimmy from Lee Halloween. Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah. He's like behind you. Jamie, behind you. It's behind. And, yeah, exactly. And for all you science fans out there. Um, so, yes, it's always behind you. Although I remember reading about like this uh, quote from Dungeons and Dragons. I think it was like the drow or the drow, whatever you want to call them, the dark elf folk, where it's like those who look to be stabbed from behind are often stabbed in the front. Ooh. So you. You need a you need a, you need a buddy system. <laughs> Rex Quando always have the buddy system. Break the wrist, walk away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take that, Jason. Slap, slap again. <laughs> slap you in the face. Uh, don't ever investigate or say you'll be right back. That was another one that uh, our our good buddy Randy from Scream pointed out. What about you, Mister Zach? Did you uh, any of those missing? Um, yeah, kind of. So I actually have tropes that you could make rules essentially so like one of the tropes that i found uh i find it in a lot of films but man is the scariest monster of all so in movies like 10 cloverfield lane 28 days later hide and seek cube the descent uh we don't necessarily have to be terrified of the monster like yeah we need to be scared of it but man is actually the scariest thing of all and like that's what the walking dead tells us too you know i'm not scared of the zombies i'm scared of fucking negan and his people and all that kind of stuff so I really like that. So, I mean, I think it's just make sure you have your wits about you and trust as little people as possible. Um, I really love the final girl aspect of films. So uh, that's a trope that's been done so well. But like Scream, Friday the 13th, The Witch, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, all really good examples of that. Uh, never split up when searching. So a cabin in the woods does that very or the cabin in the woods does that really well. But I mean, that seems like common sense. Why would you split up in in a horrible situation? And then um, I really like this one that or is it or is it the ending, you know, so in Scream, when Randy says this is the part when the killer jumps, you know, and has this final scare uh, and then Nev Campbell's like, no, not in my movie. So in movies like Friday the 13th, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, you get that kind of weird. Hey, all right, everything's OK. Oh, shit. No, it's not because now Michael Myers is not on the lawn anymore. And we woke up and I'm with my friends and we're in a dream, maybe. Or in Friday the 13th, when Alice gets pulled into the water, it's like, oh, shit, did this really happen? So I like those. So I think that goes into the line of like, make sure that you, you you do shoot him in the head, like Steve was saying, uh, you finish it and always assume that it's not over yet. But um, my biggest trope that I hate the most, I know this isn't necessarily for the rules, but I hate jump scares. I think they're so stupid and they're horrible if they're used as a crutch and not a tool. They can be done really well, but I mostly hate jump scares. So anyway, if you have any, if you guys have anything to add to that, please speak up. Actually, you also asked something uh, that was I wanted to talk about, about do modern films kind of use the same rules and tropes? Uh, I think modern films and I think a lot because of Scream are trying to always break those tropes and break those rules. Uh, an example that I have is Insidious. Uh, in that one, they have, they're they in a kind of creepyish looking haunted house. 
And you always think, why don't you just move? You know, this this will go away. <laughs> yeah. And in this film, they move to a more modern house and it, yeah. the haunting still happened. And that's, and a lot of movies do that. And I love that. You know, it, it, I think Scream really pushed other filmmakers to look outside of the box and right, start really playing around with the rules so we don't know what to expect anymore. And I think that's great with modern horror. Doesn't that happen in Sinister as well? Uh, doesn't Ethan Hawke Another move? Ethan Hawke. <laughs> <laughs> Does, doesn't, doesn't Ethan Hawke move in Sinister as well? I, I don't remember if he moves in Sinister. <laughs> um, so, so Sinister... Just take all, your tape back to the video store, guy. What's the problem? Whatever. Um, I'll, I'll uh, admit, though, that in Sinister, that had a really awesome jump scare with the whole lawnmower scene when he's watching the home video of the lawnmower run over the people. That terrified the shit out of me. But I think that has the same thing. Like, he's being chased by this demon, and he moves, and it's like, tough shit dude it doesn't work like that so you're right i i agree i think i think modern films are now trying to find how can they break that that cliche and do something new so yeah you, you um i know you're not a fan of jump scares zach but is that because they don't scare you or because you're the tension that's waiting for the jump scare i don't understand your distaste for them so much i just think they're horrible if they're used incorrectly so uh, i, I should have what's, what's an incorrect use of a jump scare. So you have some music in the background. You have some ambient music. And then all of a sudden it gets really quiet. And we're seeing somebody, you know, hello. And they look behind a cabinet. And then a cat jumps across the screen. And oh, yeah, that was so loud. Or just a loud noise or something like that. I think that they're used when they're used as a crutch like that. Uh, because you don't have a good story. It, it, it's 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 poor. It's in poor taste. But when you use it as a tool to enhance things. So like Halloween, for example, has a great jump scare when uh i can't remember the guy's name i think bill or bud or whatever after he has sex with uh, the one gal he goes and he checks the closet and michael pops right out of the closet and picks him up and that's when he stabs him against the wall it's that jarring music that you were not expecting that to happen and that served a purpose of just like holy shit this guy is crazy i'm so if you're not expecting it it's okay but if you are expecting it then you don't like it i'd probably say yeah yeah like if you and and this goes this is kind of um with the modern question, we have seen so many different ways and we're now prone to expect jump scares in certain scenarios. So like, like I said, when the music slows down, it gets quiet. You're like, Oh yeah. But if it's an unexpected jump scare, like in the invisible man, there's this part in it that I was just like, Holy shit. Oh my God. And I thought that was done very well. I won't say it or spoil it, but Steven, it was, it was the dinner scene. That oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, that was a it was a great film, and that that scene really took me by surprise. And that jump scare, it got me too. I really didn't see it coming at all, dude, dude. So like, I like it when let's say they open up a medicine cabinet, and like there's nothing there. They open up a medicine cabinet and they close it, and then there's the something behind them or whatever. Like that scares me every time. I know it's coming, but I still get scared. <laughs> oh my gosh, here it is, here it is. And I kind of close one eye and I kind of turn my face <laughs> a little bit. I'm like. Eh. Oh. <laughs> it's like when you're doing a check in the box and it's making the music and you know it's coming, it's gonna pop out, it's gonna show you, but it still it still does. I'm like, oh. Yeah. And oh, so, fair enough. Fair enough. What about in signs when 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 it, when it shows the there's two there's two jump scares for me in signs and one is when the flashlight isn't working and then he finally gets it to work and you just kind of see that leg go step through the corn and you're like, oh shit, that sucked. And then the other is when that's at the little boy's birthday party. And you yeah. see the the alien. And then I guess even the pantry, too, is pretty scary. 
you know, that whole buildup when he's like, fuck, I know there's an alien in here, but I have to see it to believe it kind of thing. And then when it grabs him, you're like, oh, my God, it's the worst. So, I mean, I like jump scares. Yeah, and I think it works really well in signs. And like I was saying, you weren't expecting that because you're like, what are we watching this video? And that's the first time you see the aliens and you're like, holy shit, I wasn't expecting it. Like Joaquin's reaction is our reaction as the viewers. So that was uh, so it just has to be done well. You know what I mean? Yeah. So So, um, moving on, uh, where do where do you rank Wes Craven in terms of horror film directors? Um, Is he overrated? Uh, Where do you rank Scream in Wes Craven's library of films? Um, yeah, I mean, Wes Craven is definitely a legend, especially in the horror genre, I think. Uh, I mean, he started two of the biggest horror franchises in Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream. On top of that, he also has Hills at Vice and Last House on the Left, which uh, spawned some remakes and uh, sequels and stuff like that. So I think he definitely needs to be in the conversation. As for me personally, and I know some horror fans would probably cast stones on me for saying this but he ranks like fifth as my favorite horror director after hitchcock romero carpenter and james wan who you know is recent but has made so many great films in the last decade or so that i'd put him above west craven right now and i can see people like jordan peele ari aster and robert eggers eventually being on that list as well but i mean they're all legends and uh he definitely needs to be at least in the conversation (laughs) I, I like his stuff. <laughs> Is that it? I, 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 have, I have nothing to add. I, I, I agree with um, Mr. Steven on that. Um, I have, as someone that was an 80s child and grew up on a Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, that is one of my favorite horror movies ever. Um, interestingly enough, I think three and four are my favorites, but I just the, the franchise alone. And then I think also with The Hills Have Eyes, you know, I grew up in the desert, and so that was like my backyard, and so it was so terrifying <laughs> for me. I was just like, why am I even watching this right now? This is the worst movie ever. But, I mean, it set the bar so goddamn high, and that was him that did that. Whereas Alfred Hitchcock, a great filmmaker, I don't, to me, they're not horror films. They're just really cool, you know, psych thrillers in the, in the grand scheme of things. Like, I I really enjoy Hitchcock movies. Um, and same with John, same with Carpenter as well. Um, but I mean, Big Trouble in Little China is my favorite John Carpenter movie, just like the thing is for you. Right. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so um, I, I can't compare the the apples and oranges, but I will say that Wes Craven has uh, left a pretty tremendous impact on me personally uh, with The Hills Have Eyes, Nightmare on Elm Street and, of course, Scream, which is one of my favorite franchises ever. And I mean, even to this day, if I if I. Let's just pretend hypothetical that that Freddy Krueger pops into my head when I'm laying in bed. I'm like, God damn it. I can't go to fucking sleep now. <laughs> I got I to gotta go do something. You know, like I'll go, I'll go, I'll go eat a bowl of ice cream or jog a fucking mile or something. But I'm not going to go to bed because I'm fucking scared right now. And I know that that's completely irrational, but I don't want to have a fucking nightmare about that guy. And so and, and, and he's to blame for that. I mean, just like just like Steven Spielberg prevented me from going in the ocean for like 18 goddamn years like i was literally (laughs) terrified of the ocean and i and i lived in san diego and i wouldn't even go in the water because i was too fucking scared and and that was you know i went from one one fear to another i i I started in san diego and i was terrified of jaws when i see the little kittener boy get eaten and then we moved to the desert and then i watched fucking hills have eyes i'm like god damn it i can't live anywhere this place is the worst and so 
you know, I have I have filmmakers to thank for those fears, which is which is incredible. And so I have to have him uh, in pretty high regard just for that, for having a a personal impact on me and my development as a child <laughs> uh, and even as a 40 year old male who will be terrified if if that burnt sweater wearing motherfucker pops in my head moments before I fall asleep. And it just it changed a game changer. Yeah. So he he's got to be he's got to be number one for me, and that's just I'm not a, a a huge giant enormous horror aficionado. I love horror films, but yeah, he's got to be number one for me. I didn't even think about Hitchcock actually, um, but I, I do think that Jordan Peele and Ari Aster, like Stephen was saying, I think they're on their way up there. Uh, Jordan Peele to me, he has a hall pass to do everything because he's just amazing. But you know Spielberg or Spielberg Craven, he had some duds. But he did give us two of the most iconic film franchises in horror history, and that is A Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream. Um, you could even say The Hills Have Eyes. Me personally and Justin, we both love that film. The man was a legend. It's just it's it's that's that's all I got to really say. But yeah, and that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. So one obvious theme in the movie was how the media can perpetuate violence. Uh, for example, the way that Gale is constantly trying to sensationalize violence in order to gain fame. This is also brilliantly summarized by Billy and Stu. While they are both clearly psychotic, they do bring up some very interesting points. Stu mentions how movies helped them create the plan, and Billy explains how movies don't make psychos, they just make them more creative. Stu even literally dies by a TV, which I thought was pretty funny. Billy tells Sydney that life is all just one great big movie and only she can pick the genre. What do you think Wes was really trying to say about horror films or movies in general? Was he trying to provide a cautionary tale? Maybe don't get carried away with the film. Uh, how do you personally feel about the media sensationalizing violence? Sure. I, I think that while there might be some merit to uh, media having an influence on uh, people, I think that it should be taken with a grain of salt. I mean, I know that in the 90s was a time when, you know, Mortal Kombat was brand new. And, you know, there was literally a, a hearing, a congressional hearing on violence in video games. So I, I definitely understand the concern and the impact that it has had. And, you know, even that movie Natural Born Killers, same thing, where the, the media was having a field day with all this violence and people were obsessed with it. And, and even like the OJ trial, you know, we're just we're weird, simple creatures that are just obsessed with weird shit like that. <laughs> and even though nothing's happening, we were just constantly going over these murders that took place. And I can see how uh, angry parents, and we were just talking about this the other day, about writing a letter to the news station about how they're offended because... You got me gay. <laughs> yeah, Will and Grace are getting me gay. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's, it's so absurd. So I think it, it, my interpretation is that it's poking fun at the the gross uh, level of ignorance when it comes to uh, development and just accountability and excuses when it comes to why someone is just a terrible human being. Yeah, I, I think Justin really hit hit it on, like the nail on the head there. I think it's exactly uh, what he said. Especially, it came at a time when um, you know the media and television and video games and movies were really under the microscope as to is violence in those uh, mediums, you know, uh, spilling out into the real world. And it's great that he decided to tackle it head on. Uh, but I also think he's telling you, you know, to just have fun with movies and don't take movies too seriously because they're in the end just meant to entertain us. And I like that he really kind of 
in a subtle way pushed that narrative and i think it's you know a great film for that so yeah i don't have much much else to add for that one yeah no i i agree i think i agree with both of you guys and the Mortal Kombat comparison is is smart too. I mean, this was something we weren't really seen with media, with the violence, and that's what got the censorship stuff and the MPP or MPAA ratings and all that kind of junk. ADAA. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but, the American Dodgeball Association of America. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry. I don't know what reference that is, but it's dodgeball, motherfucker. Oh, oh yeah, there you go. I'm so stupid. Why didn't I think about it? I watch it on the Ocho all the time. Uh, <laughs> so, so I mean, with <laughs> with uh, with the increase in violence, it's it's just interesting because I I think there might have been on the back end, maybe in the back of their minds, they were thinking of it. You know, like hey life isn't just a movie. There are real life consequences and not everything will play out like a movie. Uh, just because I do think that sometimes you can hear a copycat uh, scenario, but I mean, there's been study and study that have shown that video games and movies don't make you more violent. Um, and so Billy was kind of right when he was like, they just make you more creative, even though that's where you can get lost if you try to think that way, because this is the real world. You will get caught. Um, don't don't be an idiot and nothing's going to perfectly work out the way that that you think it will. So don't go don't go killing no people. That's my that's my message. Don't go chasing waterfalls. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's fair. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, today, a lo- I mean, maybe let's just pretend when forensic science wasn't what it was today. Uh, maybe you could have got away with something, but I I can't imagine. I don't even know how you get away with the crime these days. <laughs> it just <laughs> it seems so ridiculous. I, I watch people steal stuff at a Target, and if I, if I don't even know what I'm doing, and I can see how terrible you are as a thief, then I can only imagine what the experts in in criminal justice and and forensic science can do. Exactly. So don't be killing people. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's bad business. One thing that I really love about thought-provoking films is the ability to rewatch it again and again. And Stephen, you touched on this, but Jordan Peele and Ari Aster are two great examples of directors who create highly rewatchable films filled with parts meant to re-examine over and over again. Even though the twists and turns are exposed at the conclusion of Scream, do you think this film is highly rewatchable? Um, how many times have you seen it, and do you find new things about it? Um. For me, I've I've probably seen it, I'd say you know five six times, and since it's a release, like I said, I watch it approximately every five years. But that's not an exact science either. Uh, sometimes I'll just be in the mood to watch the series, uh, and I do think it's very rewatchable. Uh, I think it's very entertaining. Uh, yeah, it's fun with the horror tropes. So I like to revisit once in a while, and as I watch more horror movies in between each watch, I notice new things, Easter eggs that are in this film. For example, uh, I hadn't noticed before that Tatum wears the exact same half jersey as Johnny Depp does in Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh my uh, so God, just, I didn't even realize that. <laughs> right, yeah. So the things like that are uh, Casey's parents, you know, after they find uh, Drew Barrymore's character dead, say, oh, uh, go to the McKenzie's yeah. uh, to, you know, to call, which is a reference Halloween. to Halloween. Exactly. Uh, just these little things, I think, that make this film rewatchable. Whereas the Jordan Peele and Ari Aster films are rewatchable in a different way. Uh, you know, Get Out, Hereditary, Midsommar. Uh, they have so many little details in those films that you just can't notice on your first watch. 
And I don't rewatch those because I have fun with it. I rewatch those because it elicits a different emotional response from me every time I watch them. And they're so full of subtle details that uh, I love to rewatch them just to see those little nuances and those little things that those two super brilliant directors are putting into their films. And it's interesting, and I don't know how you guys felt about it, but especially Ari Oster's films, The Hereditary and Midsommar, I didn't love them when I watched them in the theater. But then I kept thinking about them, and they just like stuck in the back of my head for days and days, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And after that is when I started to really appreciate what I had just seen. And it's really weird that the two films I remember doing that with are both his. And it's crazy. That, and I, I couldn't wait to see it again. And that's, that's how I find those films are rewatchable, but definitely Scream, super rewatchable film. Well, there you go. I've probably seen it like 20 times. I absolutely love this movie. I watched it all the time when I was a teenager. And then I watch it less and less as I get older, but it's it's a staple for me and as far as horror movies go. Um, in fact, <laughs> I watched it last night, right? And I, I never noticed Don't Fear the Reapers playing in the background when Billy yeah. crawls into her room. I'm like, man, I can't believe I never listened to this song that was playing. Obviously, it's a cover, so it sounds a little bit different, but uh, that kind of cracked me up. And his red right hand. <laughs> yeah, I love the music, dude. It's so funny. Me too. Uh, I'm glad they kept that through through the, the series. But um, yeah, I, I think it's totally rewatchable. And, and that goes for all of the uh, sequels as well. I think that they have so much to offer. Uh, even just, to, I realize that it's uh, a bit, you know, derivative and everything. But at the same time, I find uh, just joy in trying to spot things that I never noticed before. And I think they're just really funny. I, I, they, at the end of the day, I laugh a lot when I watch screen movies. I think they say some funny shit. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, it's it's comedy gold. And I mean, and it's not always a good thing when you're laughing during a horror movie. But they're saying funny things. You know, you're not laughing because they're being an idiot. You're laughing because it's actually clever dialogue. Oh, totally. The writing was spot on. The pacing in this film was phenomenal. I think that start to finish, it's it's an almost two hour movie and it doesn't feel like a two hour movie. You're like, holy shit. So and a lot of that has to do with the dialogue. I think mm-hmm. Williams did, did a phenomenal job with it. <laughs> did you really call police? My mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. So mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, man, you caught me too deep. I'm getting a little woozy. He's like, I think I'm dying, man. <laughs> so funny. too deep. Yeah, uh, I mean, same, same, Stephen, with you on on Hereditary and uh, Midsommar. I didn't immediately like those films when I saw them, but I was like, why can't I get it out of my brain? And so I rewatched both of those. And after my second viewing, I was like, holy shit. Um, so I think that those are so brilliant. Same with us and, and Get Out. I mean, I've, I've seen those movies countless times and I they just keep getting better. They're like a fine wine. But um, and like what you said earlier when when I asked if you first saw or when you first saw Scream and you said you saw it at a party, I think that's the perfect microcosm for this film. This is just like a hangout movie. They it, It's something that you can watch at a party uh, and, and you feel it was very MTV. It was very with the times of, of the 90s and it's just spewing 90s. And I think that's what was so relatable uh, for like my, my sister and her friends and everything. Uh, but yeah, I mean, setting aside that I, I just absolutely love this movie, I think it's it, it garners multiple watches. Um, uh, no, on my first watch, I think I'm just assuming my eight or what 10 year old self or whatever. I pretty much picked up on everything uh, through that first watch, but it, it, it's always just fun to rewatch it and pay attention to just all the cryptic and obvious lines that they say, uh, like Billy and Stu literally admitting they're, they're the killers. Um, 
Randy's video store detective work scene where he's kind of laying out the motives and, you know, it's it's the millennium. It's it's incidental. Uh, Sydney breaking all of her own rules um, or even paying attention to Randy's tropes and watching all the characters deny them only later to kind of perform those cliches. Yeah, but. yeah. Let's talk about Sydney breaking her own rules for a second. She gets out of the house. She runs down the road. She goes like five states over and then comes back to the house. <laughs> I know. I, don't I was know like, why. fuck, what are you doing? You made it. Yeah. And she's and she's so smart. I mean, dude, she was kicking ass like when she first encounters Ghostface, she's just not going to she's not going to keel over and die like Casey did. Uh, She's actually fighting back. She's smart. She's savvy. I think that says a ton about her character without saying without needing that dialogue. And um, yeah, it's uh, it, it was it was interesting. And then she loses her virginity right after Randy says, don't lose your virginity. And then in our minds, we're like, oh, shit, she's dead. You know, if this was our first time seeing it, but mm-hmm. yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, I I love it, man. I love rewatching it. I think it's it's so great. Um, I watched it twice this week just because it's amazing. And I I did not know about that Johnny Depp thing. That that blows me away. I was like, holy shit! As soon as you said that, Steve, I had a, a revelation. God damn. Wes Craven's Freddy in um, the janitor yeah. in the hallway. He plays <laughs> the janitor. He plays the yeah. janitor Fred. Yeah, <laughs> really awesome. Uh, so, you know, w- with all of us being experts, quote unquote, in film, especially horror, <laughs> I am uh, not. I know. Do you think uh, do you think we all could survive a scream scenario realistically? Um, and also, which character would you identify with the most? I um, I do not think I would survive. I think I would die pretty quick. And uh, I would say that I am a less homicidal stew. I don't think I am whiny like randy but more of a go-getter like Stu. <laughs> liver alone that's like one of my favorite because you know how i'm always trying to come up with fun stuff so i would i would say that i'm a stew um as for me uh you know what I, i'd like to think that i would survive this scenario because i feel that i've seen so many horror movies that i know what would happen next but i also think that's my downfall is I've seen so many horror movies that I think I'd, I'm the hero and I'd get totally killed by something stupid. <laughs> um, and that's probably what would do me in. As far as who I identify with, uh, for me, it's totally Randy. I mean, I'm the guy who just wants to sit down and watch Halloween you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> and tell my friends about the rules. That's, I, I totally identified with Randy. Yeah. I, I think I could survive. Um, it kind of depends on the setting, of course, but I wouldn't do things like split up or stick around to check on a sound. I'd be like, whoa, that sounded like a knife she- unsheathing. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't run into sheds to hide. I would run into actual places like cars that actually work and drive away. But, um, you know, I, I'd be calling the police and stuff and just getting the hell out of any situation. I'd, I'd, I'd nope pretty early on. So, um, yeah, I, I think I could survive. And I think I'm definitely a Randy or probably a Dewey. Uh, he, he, he's got street smarts that Dewey, yeah. just not, just and, not book, and muscle book mass. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And a cool mustache. <laughs> Don't disturb me when I'm cleaning my room. <laughs> um, so how plausible do you feel Billy and Stu's plan was, uh, were there some gaping holes in their plot or do you think it actually could have worked? I think it could have worked, but I feel overall their plan wasn't all that plausible, uh, they were just taking too many unnecessary risks throughout the film. Uh, I think back especially to the bathroom scene where was he just like standing in there for 
you know, waiting for Sydney to eventually come <laughs> yeah. in there and uh, and then scare her. It's it's also so risky because you know who knows what's out there in the bathroom. There could be a whole class just like I don't know. It's just it's just little things like that that really really bothered me as far as uh, gaping holes in the plan. But I think theoretically it could work if you're using two people. Just I don't know. I think there's too big a holes in this film to really really make it work. And the whole thing with the voice. Um, you know, when they actually were using the voice recorder, it didn't sound so much like it does when they're calling. You know, it's Roger Jackson that does the voice when they're calling. So it just didn't match. And I don't know. That's because it has to go through the analog signal of the telephone. <laughs> I actually had that that voice changer. Oh, wow. That exact one. Yeah, It didn't sound like the guy from Scream, but it was the exact same voice recorder that they have in their hand. It was more like a "you're gonna die" kind of <laughs> voice. It had a it had a robot voice. It had a kid voice, and it had a a scary deep man voice. And I was always under the impression that uh, the bathroom scene was more in her head because he doesn't follow her out of the bathroom. There, it, it shows her looking at the vent like it's making that whispering sound, and he doesn't have a weapon. When he comes after her, he has no knife. Uh, it's just his hands. Hmm. So I always just interpreted that it was in her her own head. After we saw the two students run through the hallways and cause a ruckus, um, I think she was just uh, having like a panic attack or something. I always interpreted it that way. Fascinating. Because I mean, yeah, what if he did catch her? Was he going to do like tag you're it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> there isn't really much he could do. If to, to Stephen's point, he's like, you know, what, what, that would have backfired. She would have punched him in the nuts. Uh, one more thing that really bothered me about the two and it's funny to watch but doesn't make much sense is are those two the most clumsy like yeah. uh, slashers ever <laughs> they're they're falling over they're like tripping over themselves and i i've never seen a clumsy slasher like um ghostface in this film it's it's crazy just how clumsy they are so that that was that right. makes and, and, and that was that was part of the funny part too cuz even you know, Drew Barrymore she hurt him at the beginning yeah. too um, you know, she like knees him and then she almost gets away. Um, you know, then like the, ref- the refrigerator hitting him in the face. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it was just showing how they're normal people and we're all stupid. How many times have you missed a step or, or hit yourself on accident? You know, it's like, this is normal real world problem. Well, it's, it's <laughs> almost like they're toying with them too. Cause the, the arc of how they're trying to stab is just crazy and they're doing backflips and shit by getting kicked in the nuts. It's, it's pretty it's pretty ludicrous. So yeah, that 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 did bug me quite a bit. I wrote that down that that was I was like another Ethan Hawke movie, but <laughs> <laughs> you're like actually you wouldn't stab like that. Yeah. I took a YouTube class on how to stab people and that's not how you do it. Yeah. But uh I think it's it was it was pretty over the top and not the good Stallone over the top. <laughs> Nobody meets people halfway. The world doesn't meet anybody halfway. Yeah. Remember that. Yeah. So in my opinion, the greatest thing that Scream did was reinvent the horror genre. Uh, Wes took what we love about scary movies and raised it to a whole nother level, uh, while also giving us one of the best slashers of all time. Do you think we will ever see a slasher film of this caliber in our existence? Or is the slasher slasher genre dead? Uh, I think that... Yes, we will see another reinvention of the slasher genre. I think that there are some very creative people out there and the ways that people can make movies now, uh, just the the sheer factor of the availability and the access that people have to equipment 
and cameras and how you could literally shoot a movie on your goddamn iPhone these days. Um, I think that the the opportunity is there to anybody that that is creative enough to to explore these things. And you can have some really cool um, uh, budgets. I mean, I get like you can have like, you know, for for one hundred thousand dollars, you can make a remarkable scary movie. You, know, you could probably do it for for ten thousand dollars. Who knows? But I mean, just the the tools that are accessible to people allow for some pretty uh, creative minds to go to work. And I think that uh, we are just a few years away from seeing that movie that totally um, revitalizes um, the horror genre. I mean, especially when it comes to like um, people from other countries, you know, just the, the sheer accessibility that we have, like for all we know, it's already made. We just got to fucking watch it. And so you have people like Steven that come on our show and say, hey, go ahead and check out you know, Monstrum and the platform and one cut of the dead and train to Busan and hashtag alive. I never, heard, I mean, I've, I've four of the movies on this list. I never even heard of and shame on me. So eventually it's one of those things where word of mouth is going to spread and someone's made this movie and we're going to see it and it's going to blow our minds. So that's where I stand with that. Yeah. I, I think uh, the different like subgenres of horror go through ebbs and flows and it's, it's just happened to everything. I mean, uh, paranormal activity came out and all of a sudden there's a million ghost films and then it oversaturated the market. People got sick of them. You didn't see them for a while. And then, you know, insidious kind of brought it back and it's just, these things just happen. It happened to zombies, it happens with ghosts, it happens with found footage films. And I think slashers, you know, they had their prime. They kind of went away uh, in the early nineties because people are tired of them from the eighties. Scream came out. We saw some more slashers again. Now it's dead again. I think we're actually, that's probably the, the subgenre I think we're most due for a revival. Uh, I know some of them have tried, like movies like Terrifier, which uh, kind of played with the clown thing that was happening because of it, and also the slasher genre at the same time, and trying to kind of bring that back. I don't think it quite worked to bring the slasher genre back, but I really think we're very close to getting just a, you know, some director out there has some idea that's totally out of the box, and It'll bring slashers right back. So I definitely think we'll see some slasher films soon enough. What about a slasher where the knife is the serial killer? That'd be pretty crazy. Did you see that movie with Emilio Estevez where all the electronics come to life and kill people? Oh, knock it off. Uh, so, I, I mean, to, to answer my question, uh, I, I don't I don't think that slasher, um, the slasher genre is dead. I think that they're they're really hard to do. Like you guys are saying, uh, it's I, I think you can there's going to be a director out there who will create something that we're going to be like, ah, oh, look at that, you know, fascinating. But yeah, it's uh, I'm always hopeful. I think horror is just one of those really flexible genres that will will keep on going. And I don't want to see a remake. I want to see an original idea. And I, I think we'll be fine. But yeah. Um, OK, well, so out of all four Scream films, which is your favorite? Uh, where does this franchise rank in horror movie history? All right. Um, I mean, Scream is by far my favorite, the original. Um, it's just, and th- that goes for most franchises where I like the first one the most. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Uh, you know, Saw is my favorite. The first one, um, Halloween, the first one's my favorite. So there's a lot of them. Uh, and that's the same thing as Scream. And then my ranking from best to worst would be one, two, four, and then three. Uh, and what's interesting about that is, had you asked me three days ago, I would have said one, two, three, four, but I just rewatched them all to prepare for this. And I got to say three just really didn't do it for me. 
and I enjoyed four just a little bit more. So one, two, four, three would be my ranking right now. <laughs> three is my favorite line of all time. <laughs> yeah, he got stabbed in a movie called Stab. <laughs> Um, oh my god, that's so funny. I mean, well, well clear, clearly, Stephen, uh, for Friday the 13th, your favorite is Jason Takes Manhattan. I mean, we already established that. I don't know. He, he does go to space, right? So, <laughs> so <laughs> there's competition for sure. But yeah, I mean, Takes Manhattan has to be the favorite one. Manhattan, space, it's like the same thing. It's synonymous. Justin, what about you? Uh, as far as which one is my favorite, I would probably rank them... Uh, in order in which they came out. So I would say one is my favorite. And then uh, as far as where it ranks in just horror movie history, uh, again, I would say that this is this franchise alone is probably top three for me. Um, I just can't get enough of it. This is one of those movies where I just always want to <laughs> always want to put in. And uh, my first cosplay experience was actually Ghostface. Yeah, I just wore the costume, but I went to the I went to see Scream 2 wearing the ghost face costume. And I had no idea that there was a scene that took place in a movie theater, let alone at the beginning. So when people were coming out of the theater and here they see me walking in there, that was kind of cool. I was like, I don't know why everyone's so scared of me right now. <laughs> but it turns out that, you know, I had just I didn't, but you know, Ghostface had just murdered somebody. But uh, I had never dressed up for anything before. And so for Something like this to have an impact on me to to do that uh, was a pretty big deal. I I was in love with Ghostface. I even wore the costume to school uh, for Halloween, and um, I just I couldn't get enough of it. It was it was my everything at the time, and um, it just it will always hold a special place in my heart. And I get watching it now, just how dated it is. That's that's one of the few drawbacks to to watching older movies is. Uh, there's nothing that a cell phone can't really fix these days. Sort of, you know, just bad service. But um, you, know, you can do so much with them. You can record with them. You can call somebody. You can do the the live stream stuff with everything. The phone has so much power these days that um, it just sucks when you watch these movies and they walk everywhere or they don't have a car or they don't have a phone. It just kind of blows. Right. So many problems could be solved that way. So, um I think at the end of the day, though, the Scream franchise is, is pretty high in in my ranking system. Right. Um, I go. Yeah, I think I think the first one's probably my favorite, but I really like the second one a lot. Um, and I, I just don't know why I think the whole idea of, you know, all bets are off sort of thing is really cool. Um, I guess that's also in the third one, too, when he tells anybody he tells Sydney anybody can die. He's like, that means you, Sid. I thought that was really neat, but I haven't seen the third one in a while, so um, I can't relate to what Steven said. So I'll have to watch the other three because I'm done with all the stupid Saw movies. But yeah, there's just a lot of unlikable characters in three, you know, because they're all playing actors in a movie. So yeah. they're they're these uh, sort of characters of what we perceive Hollywood actors to be. So there's a single likable character outside of your Gail Weathers, your your Deputy Dewey and and um sydney prescott uh the rest you can't wait for them to die they're just obnoxious i like parker posey so i like parker posey too (laughs) you don't know my dog uh she's she's great in that movie too because she's playing gail weathers but she a lot i mean they all smoke they all drink they're all just obnoxious and they you know have these these holier than now personalities and oh i'm the best and and they're all like 
ridiculously stupid, like more so than you would ever imagine a human being to be. So there's just this unlikability factor that that goes into play with so much of the cast of Scream 3. Of course, they're just doing their job. You know, they're they're playing the part of an obnoxious character, but it's still hard to to enjoy because of that. It's like you don't want to watch every you know, you don't want when you watch Game of Thrones, you don't want everything to have Joffrey in it because you just get sick of that. You know what I mean? You're like, man, this fucking guy can't take him anymore. And so, I mean, I get it, but you know, he's just they're just really good at what they do. They're good at being the worst. Uh, all right. Would uh, and then finally, would you be interested in a prequel? Like, let's say you get to see a younger Billy and Stu set a plan to kill Maureen, and we get to see what happened that unfortunate night she was murdered. Uh, we could get more insight into Sydney before the murder, and maybe like Neil. You could do a lot of fun stuff with it. I know that they're making a Scream Five, or just I think it's called Screams. I don't know. But um, welcome to Screams. Day. Welcome to Screams Day. <laughs> But uh, but a prequel would would not be a bad idea. We've seen it work in certain films, but would you guys be interested in that at all? No, not me. Um, no, uh, I, I wouldn't be interested in a prequel because I feel if we know too much about Stu and Billy's plan, that it would kind of ruin the first one a little bit. Uh, I like not knowing kind of what happened there. Uh, but I am personally really in, uh, into the sequel that's coming out. I didn't want to see a Scream 5 necessarily, but when I heard that Radio Silence, which is the crew that made uh, Ready or Not, which was one of my favorite films in 2019, uh, were behind it, I have hope that they can make a really kick-ass Scream 5. So I am excited about a sequel, but I would not want to see a prequel. Dude, I loved Ready or Not. That uh, The music in it was so cool, and it was Samara Weaving is awesome. I thought that was such a fun movie, and I, I was very, very happy. I want to see more stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it was a fantastic film and Samara Weaving is becoming one of the queens of horror, really. So um, I, I love all of her films and all her performances. I'm really happy. It's sad that she won't be in Screen 5 because of a scheduling problem, but uh, still, I think it's going to be a kick-ass movie. We'll always have Bill and Ted 3. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, gentlemen. Well, uh, what letter grade would you give Scream, Justin? Uh, I give Scream an A. I love it. I would also give it an A. Uh, I think it's a great film. It's not in my like top tier films, but I really enjoy the hell out of it. So I think A is a good score. Damn, not in the top tier like Jason Takes Manhattan or anything. But exactly. I, <laughs> yeah, I give it. I give it an A plus. I absolutely love it. I think it's it's one of my all time favorite horror films. Uh, it's just remarkable. But but yeah, I really really like it. So, um, so I sent uh, Stephen this earlier, but uh, Justin and I to round out our fourth Spooktober episode, we referenced this horror genres and subgenres dropdown chart from HorrorOnScreen.com. Uh, it labels gore and, gore and disturbing, psychological, killer, monster, and paranormal as the top genres, with many subgenres underneath. Uh, Steven, what would you put Scream into for any of these genres? Is it is it one particular or is it a combination or is it all five? You know, what would you put it into? I think this is a straight up slasher film. Um, I it's, you know, as much as it kind of makes fun of the slasher genre by talking about all of the cliches that uh, are into that subgenre. I think this is your quintessential uh, slasher film but it also has a little bit of horror comedy you know, thrown into it which i really like but i think if i had to peg it in one genre it would be slasher for sure 
What about you, Justin? Yeah, I would say slasher. I think that's fair. I, I mean, I do think that there is uh, a sense of like the psychological survivor sort of aspect to it. Um, you know, with terrorizing someone with a phone call, uh, having them play a game to save someone's life. Um, I think there's a little bit of that because they definitely toy with their food a lot. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it is a uh, slasher. Yeah, and and like I I agree. I think. I think it's it, it's a slasher, but um, I will make the argument that it has a good amount of psychological in it, just because it definitely made us feel, you know, our best friends or our boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever could be the killers, and they could have this motivation to exact revenge for X, Y, and Z. So I, I think it was so interesting, and you have this, you know, upper upper white class um, suburban area in California where these rich kids. They just got bored and decided to start killing. And it's just... They all live in the biggest fucking houses. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. all these farmhouses that are all huge. But we don't know who the killer is for so long. You know, there's this whodunit. And there's these weird little red herrings. There's like shots of the boots, of the cell phones, of the jeans. And just there's just a lot going on. You have no idea who it technically is. And, and the very idea that there were two killers. Uh, I don't know if I was just naive when I was... Uh, 17 years old but that blew me away i was like there's fucking two of them <laughs> so i don't know that 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 was enough for me if anyone says that they figured that out i would i would be hard pressed to believe them well that's what i mean too and then with like the home invasion and survival i mean we these attacks take place the majority of the film takes place in homes and we want to feel safe in our homes and i mean i know that after watching scream i was like I'm not going to leave any doors unlocked. I'm closing all the blinds. It's like six o'clock in the, in the evening. I'm turning all this shit like away. But um, so that's where I, I think it comes into play with the psychological. And you could even say it's slightly splatter because it's pretty gruesome when they show like Casey and her guts are hanging out and all this other shit. I mean, that's, that's pretty gnarly, man. Yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> I felt bad for her. I was like, no, no. And that's called kicking your ass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sigh. Fine. So, okay, well, now I would like to do something really fun for the show in honor of our final Spooktober episode and with having our special guest, Mr. Stephen Alva Wood, on here. Um, so uh, let's go rapid fire here. All right, Stephen, are you ready for the rapid fire questions? I am ready. One, what is your favorite scary movie of all time? Dawn of the Dead, the original. Two, what was the first scary movie you ever remember seeing and at what age? It was uh, Tom. Well, I, I, I probably saw films before this, but this is the one that marked me at an early age. And that's Tom Savini's version of Night of the Living Dead, which is the remake of Night of the Living Dead. And I was nine years old and it scared the ever loving crap out of me. <laughs> uh, three, what is your favorite scene in any horror film? Uh, there's really three that I wrote down. I couldn't pick it down to one. I'd say the shopping scene in the original Dawn of the Dead when they're just messing around, shopping around the mall. I just love that scene. It just brings a big smile to me. Uh, the last scene of Saw when uh, Jigsaw reveals himself and gets up, it just gives me goosebumps to this day. And the nun painting scene in The Conjuring 2, I think it's a perfectly paced uh, horror scene that I really love. Nice. Uh, four, what is your best Halloween costume you've ever worn? Uh, I'd say... As an adult, it was Krampus, which I wore a couple years ago. I liked the costume so much 
that I actually mounted it to a mannequin and I have it in my uh, kind of horror themed basement. And as a kid, I dressed as the undertaker in 1991 and I just really friggin' loved it because my grandmother made it and there weren't a lot of pro wrestler costumes at the time and it was really unique. So I loved it. My God, he's got a family. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What is your favorite Halloween candy? Uh, I would say either Crunch or Coffee Crisp. And I understand the Coffee Crisp, I think, is a Canadian one. I don't think you guys have it in the U.S., but it's an amazing piece of uh, candy. Took us a long time to get here. <laughs> uh, okay, six. Who is the best movie monster of all time? Uh, I, I gave it to two people. One kind of old school, one, I guess, more new, new school. Uh, I'd say Frankenstein's Monster because it showed that monsters had layers and could be misunderstood. It wasn't just a monster that to attack. And I'd also say Freddy Krueger, because he just makes me laugh, and he scared the hell out of me as a kid. So I love him. He's like Shrek. He's got layers. He's got, yeah. uh, <laughs> Ogre's got layers? And then, Ogre's got layers. And then seven, finally, who is your favorite final girl? Uh, there's two here. Barbara from the Night of the Living Dead remake. Uh, I don't think she's that great in the original, but she's fantastic in a remake. And for sure, Helen Ripley from the Alien and Aliens uh, films. I just absolutely love her. God damn you. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, those are great. Awesome answers. All right, Justin, are you ready? I think so. Okay. One, what is your favorite scary movie of all time? Jaws. Two, what was the first scary movie you ever remember seeing and at what age? Jaws 5. <laughs> Holy shit. What is your favorite scene in any horror film? Ooh, that's a tough one. Probably the dinner scene in... Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, gross. It's so awful. I fucking hate it, but I think because it's so awful and scary, it's my favorite. Ugh. What is the best Halloween costume you've ever worn? Oh, okay. So I made one once where I did, I went as like an Inferi, like a like a, a wizard from Harry Potter where like they're dead. I did like my own makeup and I went to town with like latex and uh, like tissue and it looks really freaking cool. And then my favorite as a kid was I was Stripe, the gremlin. No, oh, nice. And it was like one of those rubber ones where it's almost like this plastic where it just drapes over the front of you and you have like the mask, you know? Um, <laughs> it's so rad and awesome yeah. and terrible at the same time. I hope you still have it. Uh, what is your what is your favorite Halloween candy? Uh, I would say probably just like the banana Laffy Taffy. I just eat the shit out of that. And like I bought a bag of it the other day and it, all the banana Laffy Taffy's already gone. I got like this mixed bag but I'm just like <laughs> fucking stealing from kids that haven't even got their candy yet. I'm just like I'm gonna take a couple of these. Uh, who is the best movie monster of all time? Uh, I am, I was gonna say the uh, monster from uh, Frankenstein. I, I absolutely love it. I think it's so iconic. Um, just all those old um, Hollywood monsters or universal monsters rather. Um, but the monster of Frankenstein is definitely my favorite. Okay. And then who is your favorite final girl? Ooh, so I have to cheat on this one a little bit because I would say that it's Sarah Michelle Gellar from just Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think she's such a fucking badass and just saved the world a billion times. And uh, she is my favorite. Sarah Michelle Gellar. Even though, yeah. I mean, it doesn't really equate to a movie per se, but uh, she has been fighting evil for a very, very long time. And she is my favorite. (laughs) So I'm going with Buffy. Very cool. All right, Zach. Yes. What is your favorite scary movie of all time? Halloween or The Shining. Nice. What is your favorite scary movie? And do you remember seeing it at what age? 
Okay, so here we go. So Maximum Overdrive was the very first scary movie I ever saw. And I was watching, my dad was watching it. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, and I was, he's like, oh, this movie has trucks in it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then all of a sudden, I see trucks running over people. I see lawnmowers killing people. I see people getting choked by hair dryer cords. And I was fucking terrified. I was screaming. I was in my room. I was crying. I wouldn't come out. And dude, that messed me up. That movie made me so scared of, of Bic. Because there was a big semi truck and I just was like so terrified by that. But freaking maximum overdrive. So it's funny you said that earlier because I was like, I hate that movie <laughs> and I still hate that movie. But oh. It made you scared to watch over the top because you saw all these trucks. Yeah. Ugh. It's all good. Uh, what is your favorite scene in any horror film? Uh, the chest defibrillator scene in The Thing. Oh, okay. What is the best Halloween costume you ever wore? Uh, a few years ago, I was Eggsy from the movie Kingsman, and it was oh, a big yeah. hit. Yeah, yeah, you were adorable, Eggy. In fact, I called you Eggy for like a billion years after that. I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what is your, what is your favorite Halloween candy? Uh, Reese's peanut butter cups, like shaped like bats. Do they need to be shaped like anything? Does the shape have any impact on the taste for you? Nah, man. I, I, I don't see shapes. I, I see I <laughs> yeah. see them all as equals. I see them all as equals. <laughs> what a jack. I ate a bat the other day and it fell apart as I was grabbing it. It pissed me off. It's a half bat. Let's see. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? And uh, I think it melted, then it got frozen, and then I, I bought it. I got, I got scammed. Anyway, <laughs> who is the best monster movie of all time? Freddy Krueger. All right. The one with Rorschach? No, fuck that. No, um, Robert England. I, I think Freddie just was so brilliant. He had so much charisma and I will always be terrified of the scene when uh, the iconic scene in um, Friday the third or sorry, a nightmare on Elm Street when Tina sees him with the long arms and he starts chasing her like the fact that he's chasing her just terrified me because we see slow stalkers in films, people who are walking there, not people who are running after people. And I hated his laugh. I hated everything about him. And I but I still yet love it to this day. All right. That's fair. Uh, who is your favorite final girl? Ripley or Laurie Strode? I mean, they are both just iconic Laurie Strode. You know, what's the boogeyman and Ripley? Get away from her, you bitch. Just so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Any anything else you guys want to add uh, while we while we before we go? I don't think so. Other than thank you, Stephen, for joining us. I think it's been fantastic. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. No, thank you for inviting me. I, I had a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I love your podcast and I love listening to it. And like I said, I was super excited when you guys were doing Halloween horror episodes. And uh, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks. You want to give a quick shout out for uh, the Horror Squad podcast? Sure. Uh, yeah. So I'm on a podcast called the Horror Squad podcast. Uh, we review uh, horror movies every single week. So it's not just October. And uh, we also do some trivia. We talk about films that we, we watch three films a week each and we recommend them and talk about them. That, yeah. It's a, it's four movies a week for us. <laughs> uh, Sounds like a job, man. That's, uh, yeah, but I, that's I, I love it because I'm really noticing little films that may, I would have never watched before. You know, it's just you get sent screeners and you I watch a lot of really indie films and it's, it's great. So, uh, yeah, check us out on all where you can find them where all podcasts, uh, you know, can be listened to. And uh, this week, uh, once it's coming out this is next week, I guess. Yeah, this comes out on, on Monday. OK, yeah. So we just reviewed um, uh, Sleepy Hollow in our last episode and we have a really cool interviews coming up. We just interviewed Felisa Rose 
who is known for Sleepaway Camp, and we're going to review that series of films really soon. So check us out. Cool. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a great, great podcast. Huge fan. So, uh, yeah, Justin, nothing. So um, you want to take us home, Justin? I brought us in. You bring this tugboat ashore. All right. So, well, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Had a fantastic time today. Uh, it was awesome. Just lots of laughs, lots of lots of ins, lots of outs, lots of what have you. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter. Um, we got DB Crazy Pod. We have Edgy Armo, and we have Zachdale sixty. We also have Mr. Stephen Alva Wood. He is at Flipping the Nerd. Uh, and then make sure to check out his podcast, the Horror Squad Podcast. For the Don't Be Crazy, and I'm sure for the Horror Squad, you can share your thoughts with us, and we'll discuss them on our show. If you have an idea for which film we should do next, just please let us know. All that we ask is uh, don't be crazy. Also, be sure to check out the Geek Legacy Podcast with David, Randy, and Justin. A lot of fun. Really great guys. Uptown all the way. And then also check out the Pixelated Podcast with Mr. Stephen K. James, where Thomas Jane calls him an asshole. And, uh, yeah, talks about video games there, and he wears his shoes. So, um, But, yeah, keep rocking and rolling, baby. Please remember to go out and vote. And thank you for listening. Happy Halloween. Thank you so much.